listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Tom Baker on this March the 4th in the year of our Lord, 2022. It's a Monday, and on Mondays we take a look at the lessons for the following week. Now, you may be surprised because next week is Palm Sunday, but it's also called the Sunday of the Passion. And the readings for that particular day don't have much to say at all about Jesus walking in on Palm Sunday. The Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy 32. The epistle is from Philippians 2. And the gospel is from Luke 23. Now, Luke 23 is 56 verses long. In fact, I could just read the gospel for today and that would take care of the time on the radio. So I thought, let's do something else because those 56 verses talk about Jesus before Pontius Pilate, then his being crucified and what he had said to one of the thieves on the cross and what happened with darkness over the whole land. It's a great summary of the crucifixion. So I thought, well, what would be better than to take a look at the words Jesus spoke from the cross? These words are all not in Luke, but they certainly are in the rest of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The word, first word Jesus says, is called the word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The second word, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise, we refer to as the word of promise. Then when Jesus says to his mother, woman, this is your son, John, and said to John, this is your mother, that's the word of assignment. Finally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the word of anguish. Then we have the word, I thirst. That is the word of fulfillment. Well, there's one more word that Jesus says from the cross that's revealed. He may have said more words, but these are the ones we know of. It is the word, it is finished. What do we refer that word to? That's the word of victory. Along with each of the other words, it is pregnant with the distinctions between law and gospel. In fact, a number of false teachings result because the word, this last word, it is finished, is not properly understood. And I'm speaking, of course, of the theological meaning, not the dictionary meaning. In the Greek, it is finished is only one word, 
from the verb pronounced teleo, which includes the obvious meanings of to finish, to complete, to fulfill, to do just as commanded, to accomplish, and to perform the last act which completes a process. And this is referred to in Hebrews 12, verse 2, which says it best. It says, in Israel, I'm sorry, that's not, there we go. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How many people imagine that you can do something to initiate your salvation? In fact, they think once I'm a believer, they must do something to finish or complete their salvation. But did you hear this verse? It says, Jesus is the author of your salvation, and he is the finisher of salvation. Now, that word finisher from that Hebrews passage is the same Greek word Jesus uses in it is finished. Not once can it mean it is almost finished or it is partially finished. Yet I could use the rest of the time to enumerate the false teachings that contradict the clear word of Jesus. It is finished. Just a few examples. Is not the demand to invite Christ into your heart a denial of the finished act of your salvation? Is not the teaching of a purgatory in which you must continue to pay the consequences of your temporal sins a denial that God finished everything on the cross. Now take the gospel in a nutshell and listen how some misinterpret that verse because I believe that every verse in the Bible can be taken in one of two ways, either the wrong way or the correct way. The verse I'm talking about, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those who misunderstand this verse think that that's the part that God did. Then it goes on, whoever believes in him will not perish. Okay, that's the part I have to do. So first God dies for you, then you have to make a decision to believe in him. But belief is not something that can be manufactured by the will of a sinful, unbelieving human being. In fact, how do you arrive at the decision you can believe or trust someone? If 
I brought a stranger to church and asked the people to believe him. Would they? Of course not. What moves you to believe or trust someone? Think about it. I I tell a friend, I will meet you at White Castle tomorrow by 1 p.m. So you are there at 1, I arrive at 1.45. After apologies, we try again the next day, but I don't show up until 2.15. Then if someone asks you whether you trust Pastor Baker, you will certainly say no. Why? Because according to your experience, I don't keep my promises. This is what saving faith is for Christians. Saving faith is not believing that the Bible is true, although it is. Saving faith is not believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, although that is true. What is saving faith? Because there are even unbelievers and the devils that believe that the Bible is true or that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's true about the demons. It's true about some of the Pharisees. That's why they paid the guards to lie that the body of Jesus had been taken away by the disciples. So what's saving faith? Is believing the promises connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for you, he rose for you. So many people today think that we need to prove that Jesus rose from the dead to help someone to believe. But that is not true because that is not the gospel. The gospel is believing the promises connected to that death and resurrection. Promises like the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, eternal life, God will never leave you nor forsake you. And we could go on and on. Now, it's very true that some of the unbelieving Pharisees believed he rose from the dead, but they did not believe that through that they received the forgiveness of sins, the robe of righteousness, eternal life, etc. Therefore, they had what's called historic faith but not saving faith. And it is not only laity that misunderstand it is finished. A pastor from a charismatic denomination visited a thrift store that I once owned. He told me the name of his denomination. It wasn't Lutheran. I said to him, No, you really are Lutheran. He asked me what I meant, so I 
asked him, when you die and go to heaven, to whom will you give all the credit for your salvation? He answered, Jesus. See, I said, that's Lutheran theology, to give all the credit to Jesus and him alone. But then he said, while it is true that I give credit to Jesus for saving me, I do take credit for inviting him into my heart. You could have bowled me over with a feather. Wow. He believed that God in Jesus gets all the credit, but then he took the credit for having faith. See, that's the problem with those who get a notion into their heads that it is so hard to let go of. To keep it, they will reinterpret those scripture passages that obviously contradict their preconceived theology. But we ought not be surprised. This is simply natural man using his old Adam doing his thing of attempting to get some glory for his salvation. All sinful motivation is based on self-interest, and therefore the idea that I did not contribute or cooperate in my salvation, boy, that's not acceptable. Even the subject of evangelism gets messed up because of the misunderstandings of when Jesus says, it is finished. How many times have you heard someone say, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven? Do you hear that? It's as though what saves you is not Jesus Christ, but your belief, your faith. In fact, in the early church, that was a heresy of having faith in your faith. It would be like asking the Christian, were you to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Oh, yes, I would. Why? Because I have faith. And therefore, faith becomes the reason that you are saved rather than Jesus Christ. Yes, having faith that he died on the cross, that does save you, but it's not the faith that's being saved. It is that he died on the cross. Some Lutherans even appear to paraphrase the prayer of the Pharisee where he says, thank God I'm not like a tax collector. They say, thank God I'm not like other Christians, for I have faith not only in Jesus Christ, but also in having correct doctrine. Now, now that's wonderful that Lutheranism does have the proper doctrine from Scripture, but you do not want to boast about that as though Lutherans are better Christians than those in other denominations. 
because whether you're Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or Roman Catholic, if you trust the promises of Jesus concerning the cross, the resurrection, and his ascension, you are saved regardless of some improper distinctions and doctrines that you might be making. We are not theologians of our faith, but theologians of the cross. Your assurance, your hope, and your confidence is found at the foot of the cross when our Savior clearly says, it is finished. That is not just a statement from his lips. It is a promise from the Holy Trinity decided from before the foundation of the world and has now been fulfilled. However, before he promised that word, the Savior looked back all the way to Adam and then forward to the last sinner to be born. Only when he realized that there was no one whose sins he had not paid for by being forsaken by the Father and suffering on that accursed tree, did he cry out, It is finished, and then died. Now in Israel, when Jesus said that, it was the time of the evening sacrifice, and the smoke of incense rose above the walls of the temple. Leviticus 4, verse 31, reveals the effect of the sacrifice of an animal on the altar of the Lord. Quote, And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Yet on this last day, because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the sweet-smelling aroma does not come from the temple in Mount Zion inside Jerusalem, but from the Mount of Calvary outside the city. Its result is revealed in Ephesians 5, verse 2. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sweet sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The writer John Mansfield put on the lips of the Roman centurion, which he named Loginus, the following words as he described what happened to the wife of Pilate. So this is the centurion talking to Pilate's wife. He was a fine young fellow, my lady, and not past middle age. And he was all alone and defied all the Jews and Romans. And when we had done with him, he was a poor, broken-down thing 
dead on the cross. Men did their worst. They usually do. But in the Holy Trinity's plan, from before the foundation of the world, that suffering of Jesus becomes a part of your redemption. You and I have been redeemed. But because we remain in this sin-filled world, we are surrounded by suffering and anguish. Recently, on a broadcast of Law and Gospel, we explained that pride is not only boasting about our achievements in the past, but also being sure and certain of our plans for the future. Plans that in God's timetable are sure to be changed, if not become a failure. Now I'm gonna say something maybe you've never heard before. What can be a sin? If you ever do a good work in order to merit heaven, that is a sin. What? Yes. If you ever decide, well, I'm going to go to church today so I can get to heaven, or I'm going to give an offering, or I'm going to give food to the hungry, or clothes to the naked, or even housing to those who are homeless, in order to get to heaven, that is a sin because you are saying that your good works get you to heaven. No, your good works do not get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven are the good works of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your redemption, who rose from the dead for your justification, and who is now seated at the right hand of God and you being a part of the body of Christ with him at the head, you also are seated at the right hand of God. So, don't try and do good works to merit heaven, because you don't merit heaven, you inherit heaven. Do you do good works? Hopefully, yes but they are a result of your going to heaven, not a reason to do them to get to heaven. It's like a child goes up to the parents and say, what do I have to do to be your child? What would you say if the parents said, oh, no problem, just clean your room, cut the lawn, do the dishes, take out the garbage, and other chores we give you, then you can be our child. No, he already is your child by being begotten. That's how he became your child. And therefore the good works he does are a result of his loving you as his father and mother. So also in Christianity, You do good works called fruit of the Holy Spirit, but they are a result 
of your realizing that you have been totally saved with the words, it is finished. You and I, we learn to cope with our suffering, not by attempting to escape the anguish of this life or attempt a shortcut around the circumstances. We cope with the suffering by hearing the word of victory. It is finished. And realize this was not just Jesus' victory over sin, death, and the devil. It is your victory also, as God promises are sure that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will even provide you with a way of escape in temptation, and that he will always work out all things to your good. At times, these promises are not seen by your sight, and thus, like Jesus on the cross, you live by faith, knowing that he who declared it is finished spoke not only of his own accomplishment fulfilled, but also of your salvation made sure, certain, and complete, so that you receive that eternal life by grace, through faith, without any contribution or cooperation on your part. You notice the Reformation principle, you're saved by grace, through faith. We don't say you're saved by faith, through grace. Faith, then, is the means by which these promises are made sure in your heart, and your trust in those promises is what brings you salvation. So you're saved by grace, through faith, without any contribution or cooperation on your part. So that's really the message for this Sunday, which is also referred to as the Sunday of the Passion. And as we leave the Lenten season, moving into Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday next week, and Easter, we look forward to talking to you. God bless Listen to Law and you. Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.